You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 613, let's go party as we visit Barbie Land, Spotify's price increase, why, 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 Delilah, and farewell to Tony Bennett and Sinead O'Connor. That's all coming up after Joni Mitchell and Help Me. There's been a few Joni Mitchell tribute albums released over the years, and mm. I, was list- I was listening to one in the week in which K.D. Lang does a spirited version of this track, but I had this 
kind of nagging thought why am i listening to this when the original is so wonderful and a click away so i switch to what i feel is joni's best album from a a supreme field as a single this made number seven on billboard in 1974 from the immaculate album court and spark joni mitchell and help me possibly my favorite Joni Mitchell track I think I love that I think it's so beautifully done like you say very difficult to pick a favorite Joni Mitchell album mm. there's about six that I cycle between I think but Court and Spark is a very lovely first thing in the morning listen for me I think yes. I'm, a, I'm a, that helps me start a day usually so yeah big fan of that and of course of Joni in general who you cannot listen to Spotify uh, listen to on Spotify now I reco- I discovered fairly recently most yes. of her back catalogue missing from there apart from some support of neil young yes um, indeed which makes me very happy in a way actually that they're still sticking together after all these years mm. that's very sweet but anyway welcome aboard parish council episode 613 i'm terence stackham and well i know it's been worrying many people a great concern for sure has she been transferred to a football club in saudi arabia <laughs> let's ask Juliet Harris. Yes, Jordan Henderson's uh, vocal support for LGBTQ mm. plus rights only goes a certain distance and that doesn't reach the Middle East, it turns out. Yeah, but anyway, well, or not, not this part. Oh, yes, it was rather, actually, because I thought he was decent. Anyway, um, yes, I have not been offered a mind melting oh, amount of no. money to uh, jettison my principles and play in a league that nobody watches. I mean, th- this is the thing that's getting me about it. All these people having money laid on them have there been tv deals yet because i've not seen any news that there has been i've not heard of any but i strongly suspect i've got this horrible horrible idea that within five years um the premier league will be replaced and we'll be watching the saudi league of probably either yes exactly either that or or clubs will have to go and play matches there there's already talk there's already talk that um uh, that wrexham are on this slightly crazy tour of america Mm. and they seem to be the football beatles there at the moment there and the, the article i was reading have various money men suggesting that you know the Premier League is very popular in America and maybe mm. clubs should go out and play there as a mid-season break. I think we'll get a mid-season break introduced in the same way as they do in uh, Italy, where they have I think it's January off. Don't they? They have a sort of around that mm. time they have not many matches you know played and. Uh, People would decamp to somewhere else, I think, and that would well, be. It already happens in, rever- in reverse, mm. in that the NFL, the the, the American football, mm. uh, they come over here and play yes. games at Wembley, which are part of their season. So yes, and are, and are very well attended, and and there are quite a few. And mm. yeah, exactly, NFL fans over here that go to watch it. So we will have to see, won't we? Several. Oh, good morning, have... everyone. Hello, by the way. Sorry, I'm usually <laughs> to say hello, aren't I? Hi, everyone. Hope you're all right. I had some um, family members uh, deciding this week to go to the cinema and they posed the question um, in a sort of family WhatsApp group, Oppenheimer or Barbie? And Mm. all of them chose Oppenheimer, Mm. except for me, who picked Barbie. Jules, I know you've been to see it too, but before I ask you for your learned opinion... I just want to get two of my soapbox subjects uh, as quickly as possible out of the way. You know, got to be done. Firstly, it was 30 minutes too long. I was wriggling in my seat. Is this Barbie or Oppenheimer? Oh, Barbie. I haven't seen Oppenheimer. I went to see Barbie. Yeah, same as you. Um, Well done for abandoning your family to do so. Oh, absolutely. Um, The second point is I, I was reminded of... 
Robert Duval as Lieutenant Colonel Kilmer in Apocalypse Now, when he said, someday this war is going to end. Because instead, I was thinking, someday these credits are going to end. Because I, <laughs> I know in a, it's a modern trend, but the first mm. eight minutes of the movie, and I, I checked, the first eight minutes had credits scrolling across the action. Yes. It's so distracting. You can't immerse yourself until they clear off the screen. Mm. Um, and that's, anyway, there's my two. So thank you for your indulgence there. So to the movie, Jules. It was first announced in 2009 and has been was in development hell for 13 years. Wow. Originally, Amy Schumer was cast in the uh, in the lead role. Mm. But time passed on and uh, we saw Margot Robbie Jules as Barbie. We did. And you know what? I, the, it, perhaps for all that development hell can be annoying, sometimes things are worth the wait. Things are worth being left to percolate and formulate into the right combination of people involved. And there really couldn't have been a better combination involved than uh, Greta Gerwig and her partner. I can never pronounce his surname. How is it pronounced? Noah Baumatch, is that how it's pronounced? Seems reasonable. Yes, Noah Baumatch writing together, her directing, and Margot Robbie as Barbie, who, I mean, (laughs) so this is a a tricky one because I don't want to spoiler too many things, Mm. Um, but there's narration by Helen Mirren, which is marvellous at at various points of the film, and she does make a comment when Barbie expresses that she doesn't feel like she's very good looking, whether or not Margot Robbie is the best person to have in in that role, because she is absolutely beautiful. And it's an um, I mean, so basically I went with with, with my girlfriend to watch Barbie. I love the fact that, you know, because we talked, I think, previously about the struggles of cinema sort of during COVID and then post COVID that we went to the Odeon in Hastings, where I went for the first time to see a film after COVID. I went in whenever it was in 2022 to see Operation Mincemeat. I think it would have been in June or July. And I went during the afternoon and there were 12 of us in that cinema screen to watch to watch it. And it was a lovely film. I very much enjoyed it. But I didn't feel at that point I had a conversation with one of the staff afterwards. And the general feeling was that of gloom, I think, around around the future of cinema. Um, they were lovely, but they were like, well, can you say nice things about us on, you know, if you fill in this survey and we give you this thing? And they were very pleasant. They were very good. So we went on on Monday at about quarter to six after work to see the Barbie film in this screen which I presume it was sold out. It was absolutely packed to the rafters of people, <laughs> all dressed in pink, by and large. My my girlfriend demurred at dressing in pink, but I um, I wore a, a sort of pop art shirt that had elements of pink in it. So I felt like I was sort of playing along. And um, yeah, my pet hate with you is why do we have to have endless adverts before you even get to the trailers and then they go back and have another go at the adverts we found that very infuriating that's maybe why the film felt long because there was an awful lot of what the late Lane Goodman would call mucking about at the beginning before the film actually started once we actually got to the film we loved it we thought it was I, I, I was interested to see what it would be like obviously this marketing campaign that they've been on with it I mean it's got to make a lot of money hasn't it to make up for the fact that so much money is clearly been spent on it partly in the marketing thing you literally when i saw a packet of barbie branded pasta in the supermarket the other day i did realize no, that, you know perhaps oh it had taken the world which did appear to be tinted pink the pasta as well <laughs> from what we could see through the packet anyway so it's partly that and also 
I mean, I think that, you know, best production design Oscar is sewn up for sure, isn't it? Because they so yeah. this was this was shot in London. Lovely to see lots of young British actors in the cast. Uh, you can always tell who shares an agent. It would seem that most of the young cast of the Netflix, I think it's a Netflix show, Sex Education clearly share an agent because most of them were in it. Mr. Doctor Who himself, Nakuti Gatwa, um, was one of the many Kens in this. It was it was, you know, lovely to see all these different sort of people in it. Um, the set was built um, in in West London to the point where it allegedly, according to reports, caused temporary caused the uh, caused the global shortage in a certain shade of pink paint because so much was used <laughs> to create Barbie Land, and um, and it looked fantastic. All of the performance in it, I thought, were brilliant. Um, Ryan Gosling has received much attention for his portrayal as, as, as Ken. I wish Ryan Gosling did more comedy, actually, because he's mm. excellent at it. Margot Robbie did really well at striking the balance between being Barbie, but also being something a bit more humane. It was lovely to see different different sort of people in it. Lovely to see America Ferreira. Haven't seen her in something probably since Ugly Betty, actually. And it was lovely to see her back with a very stirring speech which about how hard it is to be a woman, woman which I think should be taught in schools, personally. We thought that was very good. There was applause in our cinema when she finished speaking. Um, I thought it was a great balance between being really, really funny. I mean, really funny. We are probably going to go and see it again because there are so many jokes that we feel that we missed some. So many references to different bits of classic cinema but also it had interesting things to say I think about about what it's like to be a woman what it's like to be a man and what it's like to be a person really I think and societal expectations it was really oddly moving in places I was surprised at how emotional it was I thought that it was really beautifully done actually and the stakes couldn't have been higher given given how much publicity there's been how much money it evidently cost but I thought it was great and I would recommend it to anyone as a fun film that does also sort of help you think as well and who knows Barbie and Oppenheimer may well have if not saved cinema at least you know at least it staved off the walls from the door for a bit as well and it was lovely to see so many people there for all we moan about crowd behaviour. It was really nice to see so many people of different ages, actually. It was very cross-generational. We saw a friend of ours who'd, who'd taken her niece. You know, it was really nice. Uh, just, just kind of cross-generational enjoyment of being together and watching a very clever and very... A film that was made from the heart, I think, as well as being very clever. And I, I, those are always my favourite things, stuff that can do both at once. I mean, yes, it was clear from the very first few minutes and a Saturday Night Fever-style dance sequence that you, yes. you you have to let your camp flag fly, don't yes, you, in this? Yes, you do, you Everything do. is pink, fluffy and bubbly and yes. all is perfect in Barbie land until yes. Margot Robbie utters the words, do you ever think about dying? Indeed, and that was so well done and it really comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? It was like, yeah, the brakes suddenly screeched yes. and it swiftly became clear um, that this movie is going to be awash with allegories, much of them around mm. heaven and hell and purgatory, and and as yes. you say, the, the role of men and women in a in an enlightened society. Um, uh, uh, parts of the movie, I was convinced that uh, Greta Gerwig had overdosed on episodes of the 1960s series The Prisoner filmed. Oh yes, Mary. there was a bit of a vibe about that. Yeah, I really did feel that and, and, and both the colours and the, the village as well as Barbie Land but also the, there's a sort of division, the portal between Barbie yes. Land and the real world. 
which was, was some... lovely actually there was a great there was and also the music for this was very well done as well sorry oh, yes. to cut you off but yeah. but yes the the music um Tame Impala making the music as they went to and from the the, the different portals I yeah, think that, was great uh, sorry to car- carry on no that's right there were some great one-off lines in the movie uh, my favorite was She's not dead. She's having an existential crisis. <laughs> uh, She's laying face down. Laying on the face floor. down on the floor. Um, some wonderful performances from um, uh, well, you've, you've mentioned I think Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, of course. Also Will Ferrell and uh, America Ferreira in supporting yes, roles, as you mentioned. She was very good. Also, shout out to Kate McKinnon, who I think is <laughs> very underrated as a comic actress. She was very good as weird Barbie, the Barbie that had been played with too much that they had together. Was sort of like this kind of spiritual elder that they had to go and see it was yeah the, everyone that popped up to sort of appear in it was really good I thought it was every performance was excellent I uh I, I, my, I'm going to um, leave my final word and I didn't agree with this I have to say on Barbie to a woman who came into a pub we were in the other day and <laughs> right. um, she was followed by a barrel barrow load of young children she was like herding them in oh, <laughs> and she plonked herself down at the next table to us where she joined a friend and she said been to see barbie it's all about empowerment of women the kids didn't get it and she <laughs> got up from her seat and went to order at the bar uh, <laughs> i mean the thing is is that it's a 12a isn't it and it so is a 12a. People, say, people say you know oh um you know also oh, my kids can see it and it's like what the rating is saying is you can take kids with you if they're accompanied by an adult. What it's also saying is this movie's not really for children. You can take them if you really want to. And I think, I actually, I think that pro- probably with very young children, quite a lot of it probably just went over their heads and they enjoyed the colours. And I have no issue with that as long as I can enjoy it too, which I could very much because it was cleverly written. Well, Barbie is released now all around mm. the world. Uh, in the UK, as Juliet says, it's rated as 12A. It is. Coming up, Spotify's price increase and how many UK musicians make a living solely from streaming. That's right after, from the Barbie soundtrack, Lizzo. When I wake up in my own pink world, I get up out of bed and Things to do is her and her and me. 
the opening number to the film, the opening number to the soundtrack, which I have on vinyl on Hot Pink. So, Terence, I'm sure you'll be delighted to know that. Um, I I love Lizzo. Lizzo was a fantastic choice. Mark Ronson was a great choice to curate the soundtrack on this. He really is the king of having a finger of the pulse of what's going on on modern pop, I think, and also just bringing people together and this lovely number. And he, apparently they were some of the people, according to the sleeve notes, and actually for all that people might go, oh, Barbie on vinyl, there is a proper sleeve note and it's really good. And it's written, um, it's written, the half of it is written by uh, Greta and Noah and the other half is written by Mark Ronson and it's really good. And Mark Ronson t- talking a little bit about how members of the of the soundtrack crew like Lizzo were shown some of the rushes of the footage so that they could get an idea of what they were writing about. So, of course, Lizzo was shown, you know, Barbie land and this is what she came up with. Mm-hmm. And Lizzo, of course, you know, known for sort of empowerment and body positivity and playing the flute standing on one leg, which, Indeed. you know, who, who knew that modern prog would look like this? But then Anyway, she um she's fabulous. I'm a huge fan of Lizzo, and I think this is such a great fun song. I nearly picked the one afterwards, which is the dance scene, which is then suddenly abruptly halted for reasons that you've given. Mm. Dance the night away by Dua Lipa is also excellent, but I I thought this was such a great kind of way of introducing us to Barbie Land. I thought it was lovely. This is this is Lizzo, and this was that well rather that was Lizzo, and that was Pink. This is a terrific track from the movie. Um, mm. four, four writers credited, but that pales into insignificance when you consider that two tracks, Speed Drive and Barbie Dreams, mm. each each of them needed a total of 12 writers to get the songs over the finishing line. Which is mad, but considering the, that the, 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 the Charlie, that the speed number is, is less than two minutes, isn't and, uh, it? It's one minute writers. 57 or something. Absolutely. Anyway. On the, on the album liner notes that you have, 74 people are credited with making mm. this album. But it, it is great. The soundtrack is great. I'm not knocking it, but it's just amazing. No. Your modern, that's your modern world for you. There you go. Absolutely. The kids these days, etc. Yeah, yeah, little did they know. Um, there's a report created by the UK Intellectual Property Office. I mean, they, they sound like a barrel of laughs. Anyway. Oh, don't they sound like, like a, they, you know, party time. They sound like they're having a Barbie party of their very own over there. I'm from the UK Intellectual Property Office. Anyway, that, that's they, they found that approximately 720 British musicians make a living solely from streaming royalties, which, of course, leads to the usual outcry. Oh, Spotify, they're leaving musicians penniless. But I want to turn that round. I have a dum, feeling dum, Ju- dum. I think you may not agree with me, Juliet. Fight! But, yeah. There's a fight! Yes, come on. I'm surprised it's as many as 720 mm. because once you get past, I don't know, let's say the top 100 from, you know, Elton, Harry Styles. Yes, at the top, very true. Through, say, Noel Gallagher, you maybe reach number 100, let's guess, um, Leander Havas, James Arthur, mm. those sort of people, maybe yes. at number 100. So then you've got another 600 below that. So let's consider someone at number 721 not earning enough by streaming Mm. to live on. My view is this. These artists before Spotify and streaming are those that put up a table at their gigs and if lucky, sold one CD. Mm. And what I mean by that is they are not generally popular enough. The point being, Jules, if your music is good enough and enough people get to hear it, which is key, then you'll be fine. Mm. But maybe you're not making a living through Spotify because not enough people hear or not enough people like your music. Controversial, Sir Terence, the agent provocateur of this podcast. I mean, so, so... 
happy with that. I, 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 I think where, where I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull on a thread in that argument, mm. I think. And you say, and I think you, you, I think you might have recognised it yourself as well by making the point. Mm. Uh, before you said not enough people like your music, not enough people get to hear your mm. music. And I think what's interesting here is it once again, and this is a conversation that we often talk about, particularly when we talk about live music on the podcast as well. Everyone knows that the money that there isn't that people tour so much because the money is in live music now. But I've also expressed a concern previously. And again, that was a topic on which we disagreed. Honestly, Terence, why do we do this when we clearly hate each other's guts, et cetera, et cetera? I, I jest, I jest. Um, he, um, <laughs> I'm saying that to the listeners as well, who probably feel, you know, probably feel distressed at the thought of us having a fight. But anyway, um, it's very... I, what I what I'm sort of trying to grasp here is we've sort of slightly disagreed previously is, is is that you know small venues are closing around the country and I think mm. your argument was why does this matter does this really matter my argument is yes it does because it's part of and this sounds like a very pretentious word to use but I will use it it's part of the ecosystem of how people hone their craft and people become more popular I think and it makes me think back to the sort of the the clubs of the 50s and the 60s when we talked about the um get back film at the end of the first episodes where George Harrison effectively leaves the Beatles he leaves them with the immortal line see you down the clubs lads and it used and I remember reading a really interesting interview with Elton John once in Word magazine again once number thing numbered once thing amongst the things that once were but um about how he would play in bands in clubs three or four nights a week as a teenager. And that's how he really sort of got good and learnt the craft of, of how music works and how songs work and what's popular and what isn't. And I'm beginning to wonder if the the live music industry being successful, but only for a certain strata of people. We talked the other week about Taylor Swift, didn't we? And, and, mm. and the... the insane enormity of 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 her tour and the money that's involved in it oh something that came out um i think it was the wall street journal of all places after we'd had that discussion on the podcast was how it's actually making a difference to the finances of the yeah. of the towns and cities that she's visiting because so much money is coming in from people going to see her and you know buying food and you know sort of visiting places whilst they're there and and yet you've got that end of the spectrum. And then you've got the other end of the spectrum where, you know, cl- small music venues where bands are play are closing. We've had discussions about people moving into flats next door and then complaining, all of this kind of stuff. And so I think that there maybe there aren't. So I, I still think Spotify don't pay enough in terms of streaming, although we will talk about their price increase in a minute. Mm. That seems to have taken over from being able to make any money from selling from selling sort of records. And maybe that's distorted things. The fact that we don't really have a functioning chart anymore in the in the olden days that like we did. And just just this idea that that it's exposure is really difficult now. So it might well be that. But but then how much music there is on Spotify, City, given how how you know, the fact that we I think we had that 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 um, thing once about how there being thousands of, of new music tracks up only per day. Thousand upon thousand every day. Actually, if you're if you're if you're the 751st most popular artist on Spotify, that's that's quite big to have fought your way to the front of that stream. You say not enough people are hearing your music. Actually, quite a lot of people are hearing your music, given how crowded 
how you know overpopulated mm. the field is now compared to how it used to be, which makes me think Spotify probably ought to pay more because I still think proportionally that's a huge deal. If you're, if I was the 700, if Go Bodicea, my sometime bands, were the 751st most streamed artist on Spotify, that would be that would be amazing. And it's just such a shame that. Uh, that uh, you know, that, that an industry which people were able to able to make a living on at all levels, I would say as well. And this is the argument here. It's been possible up until fairly recently to make a live a, a fairly okay living from music, even if you are selling from a suitcase, sir T. And I, I, you know, I I do struggle a bit with this idea that you know that uh, that people, you know, it, that there is a cutoff point that is so high given to how compare you know how comparatively huge. Spotify is and how it's so difficult to get exposed and to make money from other limbs of the music industry. Well, as you say, all of this comes in the week where Spotify have announced a price increase mm. in the UK and the United States. A standalone plan in the UK goes up a pound from nine ninety nine to ten ninety nine in the States from ten dollars to eleven dollars. Um, these are mon- monthly rates, of course. Um, the free option still exists, um, free but with commercials and what they describe as limited playback functionality. Mm, I have Fun- that myself, really. I have limited playback <laughs> functionality as a person. <laughs> life yes <laughs> 515 million people uh, globally listen to music via spotify mm. and they have uh, it's just about just under half 210 million paying subscribers mm. so a quid or a dollar more per month jules seems reasonable it's, it's the first increase in their history which is about 15 years now yes true although my my their question is then where is that money going? If that mm. money is paying artists more per stream, as opposed to zero 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 three, as our friends um who sang "Who the Hell Is Edgar" uh, pointed out, do you remember friends of the podcast from Eurovision some yeah, some weeks ago? Yes, I um, very good indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, I I you know I I think Spotify is good value for a listener. However, where is that money going? You know, if we're not, if if the money is not paying artists more per stream. Where is it going? You know, is is my question, yeah. I think, for this. Where is it? And and if it's going to labels, how is that being fed down to artists? If not, where else is it going? I mean, I you know, I like Spotify and I do use it. I also buy music as well still because I think it's important too. But um and yes, but and I suspect the reason it's gone up, and no one's actually made this clear, is that its kind of biggest rival, Apple Music, which I I used for years, has gone up by a pound recently. So mm. so maybe they feel that the market will bear it. I don't know, but um, yeah, I find it frustrating that I don't. We don't know where this money is going. Are they still paying nothing to artists, basically? Mm. Now I'm interested in your view on this. Maybe you, you're you're an intelligent woman because I don't understand. Well, allegedly. This. Yes. One thing I wasn't aware of until this Mm. week, uh, looking into this, um, really didn't know this. There's a large disparity around the world in terms of the cost of a monthly subscription. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah. No, I had no idea. I just thought it was like the equivalent of nine. 99 all around the world but it's not um there are anomalies least expensive is india which is one dollar and 45 cents mm. per month um, maybe that reflects the economy in india i, I think i think this is probably going to be the answer but yeah go on well uh, but will it because let me give ah, you some more examples. okay okay they, go on yep. yeah yeah you, you may be speaking too soon um mm. $1.48 in Turkey, $2.21 in Argentine. Here's the one that perplexes me. Um, 
monthly fee in Saudi Arabia, five dollars thirty three cents. Where no, they've got more money than they know what to do with. It's right, Denmark pays the highest Spotify rate in the world at sixteen dollars mm. and a bit a month. UK is second, Sweden third, USA fourth. It all seems a bit arbitrary. Um, so maybe we maybe we do we will need to move to Saudi Arabia along with all of those footballers. <laughs> I was going to say if Gordon Henderson doesn't make sense, moved. does it? Five dollars in Saudi. It um, does. It's really here. it's strange, isn't it? I don't. Again, part of me presumes that they've done market research to see what mm. markets will bear. I don't know. Um, so I've just had a I've just had a bit of a Google and said, why does Spotify have different prices in different countries? Um, this is from a website called muscomv.com, and it says there are a few key reasons for this. Firstly, local market conditions play a role in determining the price. In some countries, there may be more competition from other streaming services, which can drive down the price. Of course, I hadn't thought of that. In other countries, there may be less competition. Another factor is the is cost of licensing fees and employee salaries in different in different countries, which I hadn't thought of. Exchange rates as well. Um, and then also it says, finally, it's worth noting that Spotify regularly reviews and adjusts its pricing in different countries to ensure that it remains competitive and reflects the value it provides to users. That's a that's really is a, a, a non-answer mm. really. But um, yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, Brazil, by the way, it's 16.9 Brazilian dollars a month as well. So I don't know how that translates into uh into into I don't know how that can translate to American dollars either, but you see that's if it, if, the, if there's any sort of parity, that's bizarre mm. because Brazil, of course, there are some wealthy people in Brazil, but Brazil has you know millions upon millions of, uh, of people in poverty. Absolutely, so are they denied to be able to listen to music. It, this is it's very it's very strange, isn't it? It's um, I'm just trying to have a look to see if I can do the translation now. So sixteen point seventy. Come on. This is the perils of live, of live podcasting. It's at three point five American dollars, so maybe oh, that's that not so make bad. more sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, there's more to come, ladies and gentlemen. Mm, there's more to come. Good luck. Um, good, good news. Good news. Uh, the Delilah dilemma. Mm. And we say farewell to Tony Bennett and dear Sinead O'Connor. Um, this this next track is a joy. It's one of her greatest vocal performances, but we don't mm. hear it that often. Very true. It's, yeah, it's Madonna. Where do we go from here? This isn't where we intended to be. We had it all. You believed in me, I believed in you Certainties disappear What do we do for our dream to survive? How do we keep all our passions alive As we used to do And you'll slip away You must love me You must love me Mm -hmm. 
an Oscar for Best Original Song in a Movie at the Academy Awards in 1997. Uh, a new track written for the movie Evita and to, to both their credit really Andrew Lloyd Webber coaxes one of her best vocal performances yes. I think, from Madonna. As a single it was a huge hit all around the world including number 18 on Billboard 10 in the UK from the soundtrack of Evita Madonna and You Must Love Me yeah, absolutely agree with you. Really good song, really good performance from her. It used to get um, it used to get um, played quite, it was, at the time. It was played quite a lot on the radio. I seem to remember, which considering what a slow song it was, mm. I used to hear it fairly regularly on commercial radio locally. Um, yeah, it's it's really good, isn't it? It's strange that you don't really hear it now very much because it is really yeah. good. There are a number of Madonna tracks that are really good that you don't often hear. The Power of Goodbye, I wish we heard that more often as mm. well. I don't really like ballads. Yeah, I seem to like Madonna ballads, which is unexpected, but I guess we are where we are. It's worth sifting through the soundtrack of Evita. Um, of course, there's some filler. It's a movie soundtrack. But if you sift through it and just play the Madonna vocal tracks, I mean, her performance on mm. that movie just... Oh, she was she was wonderful in that. She was really, she really incredible. Was. Why, 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 Juliet? Mm. Tom Jones on stage at Cardiff Castle last Friday. This is what he said. I quote: "You can't stop us singing, Delilah. Can you imagine? They stop the choir from singing it, but they can't stop us from singing it, and we will keep singing it too." End of quote. Now I have a dilemma here, Jules, because mm. if you if we, if we go and see King Lear or Plenty of Shakespeare plays yes. or any number of operas from Aida to Don Giovanni, yes. there will be violence and deaths are plenty. Deaths are go go and no one asked for a rewrite so why do i feel squeamish about mm. twenty thousand people yelling she stood there laughing i felt the knife in my hand and she laughed no more why do i feel squeamish about that well mate well yes as do i and i think you make a good point but about the sort of king lear and, and what what's the difference I think the difference is, is that when you go and see King, see King Lear, there probably aren't 20,000 people shouting, yeah, go on, <laughs> you know, at the stage. And if there are, then I, I hope they would be asked to leave. But, um, but yeah, maybe it's this kind of mass, this kind of, and there have been lots of studies about the psychology of crowds, haven't there? And, mm. and you know, sort of how, you know, when we've talked about riots that have occurred previously and why riots do occur, that you know, there's this feeling of kind of other people egging other on and there being a sort of a, a crowd mentality and people get into a mentality that they wouldn't do so if they were away from the heat of quote unquote battle and were, you know, in a more reflective position. And I think the idea of crowds of rug plans and I will make this point here. Crowds of largely men, I think, um, belting this song out and singing about a, a violence against women and women being murdered. I'm glad that you feel a, a man that makes you feel squeamish, squeamish mm. Terence. I think that says a lot about you. I'm, I'm very proud to know you. And I just find it. And, you know, I find Tom, you know, Tom, Sir Tom Jones apparently has complained about that, you know, about it. And 
it just shows a lack of awareness, I think, really, a lack of willingness to think about what these words mean um, and, and, a, and a lack of, of, of I'm, I'm sorry because I like Tom Jones and I'm, I'm disappointed by this because it doesn't really show any compassion towards. And also, isn't it nice that women now go to watch rugby as well? And this is this is why I've enjoyed going to watch women's football so much, because you see so many other women in the crowd. If women want to go and watch rugby, I think that's brilliant. It's not exactly massively welcoming and inclusive. If you've got 20,000 people singing about women being stabbed to death, is it really? Is it needed to be sung? There are lots of other songs that can be sung at rugby. Um, and I really, really admire the statement, the principality. Um, this is, and, and also, this is a fairly new, this isn't a new thing. This is what's so interesting that Tom Jones commented on it. Delilah was removed from the playlist of rugby choirs in 2015. So it was officially banned earlier this year, but it was removed from the sort of playlist of choirs some years ago. And at the time, the Principality statement, Stadium said, Delilah will not feature on the playlist required to rugby internationals at Principality Stadium. Guest choirs have also been more recently not re- been requested not to feature the song during their pre-match performances and throughout games. The Welsh Rugby Union condemns domestic violence of any kind. We have previously sought advice from subject matter experts on the issue of censoring the song, and we were respectfully aware that it is problematic and upsetting to some supporters because of this subject matter. Mm. And I think that is completely reasonable. And also, let's face it, Tom Jones has had many, many hits and sung many, many songs. This is probably not going to be the end of Tom Jones if people don't sing Delilah at, at, at rugby anymore. I just, I'm a bit disappointed by this kind of dismissive attitude and how people go well I like doing this and I'm enjoying doing this and we've always done it this way so we're just going to keep going and I just I just find it a bit disappointing really because I, ju- I just think there are other things you can do and it's actually a shockingly violent song when you were it's one of those songs it's an incredible belter but um it's really really graphically violent in a way that that quite a lot of songs aren't actually and i think the, the to make the point you're saying about king lear it's easier to make the separation i think and i know there are lots of um shakespearean productions that do modern dress now but the language and the way that it is it's very much from another time isn't it and i suppose when you've got people in the globe in elizabethan costumes it somehow doesn't feel as real as when you've got this kind of domestic situation that like i say is is you know is plausible isn't it really mm-hmm. so so yeah i am um, i can understand why people get nervous about censorship and we've spoken about this on the podcast previously mm-hmm. but um i think here the welsh rugby union association have done a brave thing and i think the right thing here on balance because it's just a really unedifying spectacle spectacle of having you know, these huge crowds belting out about women being stabbed. I'm quite happy for that not to happen, I think. Yes, I think the key point, and I agree with you, Toby, is mm. he's plenty of other hits to sing. Maybe yes. he could just let this one go. Absolutely. Tony Bennett died this week at the age mm. of uh, 96, nearly 97, actually. And with, with such longevity um, came inevitable highs and lows. Mm. Uh, the late 50s, early 60s were his peak years. 1962 was the year of I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Mm. But he got left behind when the Beatles hit town. And yes. um, his, his, his sort of jazzy crooning went out of fashion. Almost hard to imagine now, but in the late 60s and uh, 70s, 
Um, he had no record contract at all, no manager, almost mm. died from an overdose of cocaine. Oh, um, my God. No, but he got back on track, recorded with uh, and played live with a new generation, including Elvis Costello, Elton, Lady Gaga. Inevitably, he played the Glas- um, sorry, Glastonbury Festival in mm. 1998, uh, one, of, one of those um, six inches of mud years. But he, he, he looked splendid in his suit and tie. Shouldn't be forgotten, Jules, that he won... 20 Grammys, the most recent for incredible. best traditional pop vocal album with Lady Gaga, won only last year. That's so great, isn't it? I mean, he really did. He really was there till the end, wasn't he, really? Um, I also very much enjoyed um, just how relationships he had when performing with women that were much younger than him in a really non-threatening way who showed him such respect him and amy winehouse singing body and soul together and him and lady gaga doing all of these um these these sort of numbers together i think he was great and like many people of my millennial generation my first introduction to tony bennett was him singing capital city in the simpsons when in the episode where homer becomes a baseball mascot and gets called up to capital city and as the simpson family arrive and are driving through capital city we don't know what it's called because we don't know the state the simpsons is set in even though it's allegedly ohio um we see them we see them uh, sort of driving through and to the sound, the strains of Tony Bennett belting out Capital City as they ooh and ah all the exciting sights. At one point, they go, hey, there's Tony Bennett who's singing on the bridge. And so that's how I first knew who <laughs> Tony Bennett was. I nearly picked that song for the podcast because I think it's it's such a delight. He had incredible timing. And also, what's so interesting about him? I, I was genuinely shocked that he'd had issues with cocaine. I genuinely didn't mm. know that because I always feel that Tony Bennett... Feels like the benevolent timeline Frank Sinatra, the, uh, the the excellent jazzy crooner that wasn't in Hawk to the Mob. So, um, so but who knows? He probably was because they probably all were. But anyway, I thought he seemed like an incredibly nice man. Um, I'm very sorry that he's passed away. They don't make them like that anymore, do they? Um, I just I, I just think, you know, I love the fact that he managed to stay sort of relevant by by, you know, collaborating with younger artists. And um, I think he's I think he was brilliant. And I am so sorry. He also broke the Guinness World Record for the oldest person to release an album of new material at the age at the age of 95 years and 60 days young, which I think was excellent. His last performances um, were at Radio City Music Hall in August 2021. Um, and uh, like you say, 2021 love for sale with him and lady gaga was their second album together so Mm. um he also broke the individual record for the longest run of a top 10 album on the billboard 200 chart for any living artist so how interesting that was with love for sale so how interesting Mm. that he just you know he just continued to keep packing them in didn't he good good for tony bennett and r.i.p i hope he's resting well the other great loss of the week, uh, mm. Sinead O'Connor. It, it, it may be sad. I, I was watching a roundup of the British mm. newspapers on Wednesday night. Uh, Sky News yes. at ten thirty to a newspaper following days. Uh, papers, you know, the headlines as they mm. arrive, sort of thing. And they all fixated. Every British newspaper fixated on two things: the tears in the video for nothing yes. compares to you, and the ripping up of the photo of the Pope on Saturday Night Live. And yes. it just seemed like you know, again, trying to encapsulate someone in two 
you know, three minute incidents in an entire lifetime. There was so much more to Sinead O'Connor than that. She was a wonderful singer, fantastic insight that led to incredible interpretations of other people's music yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. And we, we mentioned this only a week a week ago, a week or two ago, Jules, that were that beautiful album in 2002, Sean Nosnua, beautiful yes. versions of um, traditional Irish songs. Yeah, I completely agree. A, a brilliant interpreter of other people's songs. I was only talking to somebody um, after the news had broke. We were talking about it in a restaurant and she was a very big fan of the reggae album that Sinead O'Connor mm. did. Not, a, not an artist you would associate with that genre readily. but um, Sly and Robbie. In absolutely. Next. And um, she is, um, I, I just, in a way, I was sort of very sad, but not massively surprised. I know that she'd lost a child fairly recently, which is just the most unimaginable loss. But um, I, I, yeah, like you say, it is a shame that people sort of focus on certain incidents in her life. Although, you know, she was an. What made her so good was how outspoken she was and how how committed entirely she was to the views that she had. Um, she, um, I think it's actually um, she in her own way. And I wish they'd made more of this. Actually, like you say, the ripping up of the picture of the Pope. She was an un, in January '95. She unexpectedly appeared on. Do you remember After Dark, which was that British late night TV mm, program? That often used to run through the night unexpectedly, I think. It just used to be allowed to run on sometimes. Mm. There was an episode about sexual abuse in the Catholic Church in Ireland. And she um, she came on and, and argued that, um, that uh, abuse in families was coded in by the church because it refused to accept the accounts of women and children. I thought that was very interesting. And then she went on to be ordinated as a, as a, um, as a priest. So mm. very interesting in that she was um and that she was very sort of true to her Christianity towards the end. I think she's a really well, good she converted to Islam exactly. though, the last few years. Yeah. I know, which is really interesting because she uh, she was true the thing that I admire about her is sorry, but when I say true to she was true true, you know, true to the end of her religious sort of views. And she mm. was the thing that I admire about her so much, and this is why she often gets parodied and like you say, into sort of crying and and, ang- and you know, ripping up and things. And women still get this more than men, I think. Mm. That women aren't allowed to have a range of emotions, a range of views and a range of nuanced emotions. And, and actually, weirdly, this links back to the Barbie film as well, that women have to be either really happy or really sad. And the point that film was making was that reality of life, of being a person, particularly being a woman, is messy, that, that emotions are messy and that you can be happy and sad at the same time. And I think that, that Sinead O'Connor was so interesting because she was unapologetic in how her whole life was a journey and how she didn't always think the same things and how she, you know, that she she changed, you know, that things that her life changed over time and how she lived her life and how she expressed herself as an artist changed over time. And, you know, we look, we talk about people, you know, need, needing to be our authentic self, Sir Terence. Sinead O'Connor was her authentic mm. self. And for much of her life, the world couldn't deal with that. And certainly the media had real issues dealing with that. It'd be interesting to see you know, we talk about people not making them like they used to. It'd be interesting to see how the media deals with more complicated women. Women, unfortunately, look at what happened to poor Caroline Flack at the start mm. of the pandemic. Pandemic, how much has not changed? It would seem. Um, so yeah, so so you know, I really admire Sinead O'Connor for her complexity and for being unapologetic in expressing her complexity and living her life to, to in that authentic way. A brilliant musician, like you say, and. A, a huge loss, although I genuinely hope she is at some sort of peace now. 
I agree with you. I, 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 my hope is probably in vain, but I wish the media now would let her rest in peace and leave absolutely. her children yes, and absolutely. her family to you know, some privacy. Yes. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you there. Thank very you. much agree. Very much agree. I think we're probably a consensus here. I don't think you'll hear Delilah on Juliet's <laughs> radio show. No, I have played some Tom Jones numbers, but no, I don't believe I've ever played that. And if I have previously, I wouldn't be playing it again. Um, yes, uh, smooth sailing. Um, obviously, you know, we try and it, it's interesting, though, and maybe this is worth a worthwhile discussion at some point about some of the lyrics that you play that I play on smooth sailing, because a lot of the music I play is from the 70s, which, of course, as we always have to say, whilst looking grave to a camera, was a very different time to how it is now. But anyway, it's uh, so it's Yacht Rock, M-O-R, A-O-R, easy listening, classic pop, all that kind of stuff. And that's from 7 to 9 p.m. on uh, noiseboxradio.com. And you've chosen Sinead to play us out. I have. And I take the point that you've made about, you know, how we constantly have to see the tears, you know, her crying the tears in the video. That's all you see. But I don't think that takes away from the fact that this is no. such a magnificent performance. And like you say, an interpreter of other people's songs written by Prince, which everybody, I think, is common knowledge now, isn't it? It wasn't for, for some time, but it is now. Um, and it's just a spectacular performance made made all the more sort of everlasting by the video like you say and the black and white and and, and the crime which again was incredibly exposing for mm. someone to do that in a video at the time um in the true video era as well of the late 80s early 90s and everyone knows this i think and even though you know you hear it a lot it's still incredibly powerful in in how it is the the music is is the funny thing is is that the lyric could almost be sung it's not exactly upbeat but it could almost be sung in a quicker way couldn't it really this really does ring every kind of ounce of sort of sadness and despair out of this this is Sinead O'Connor and nothing compares to you it's been seven hours and fifty days since you took your love away I go out every night and sleep all day Since you took your love Since you've been gone I can do whatever I want I can see whomever I choose
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>